I'll be reading from Romans 14, 1 through 12. Um, you can find that on page 949, 948 on, in your pew Bible. Romans 14, 1 through 12. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he, th- since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, None of us dies to himself, for if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For for to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Well, as the new year dawns, we return to Romans again, and we look at uh, Romans 14 through 16 in the next few weeks, Lord willing. Those passages especially emphasize our love for one another. We pray that the Lord would work such things in us in this new year. We see from this passage that one of the biggest battles in our lives, I I know it's true of my life, is to welcome and accept one another. Uh, Especially here he's speaking of welcoming and accepting fellow believers. That's the context, isn't it? It's so easy to fall into the trap of judging criticizing and evaluating fellow believers instead of welcoming and accepting and loving those whom God has placed us with. It it doesn't take a genius to see the faults and weaknesses of others. We, We shouldn't congratulate ourselves for being perceptive when we see the weaknesses of others. Everybody sees them. That's, that's part of the human condition, isn't it? The mark of God's love is when we love, accept, receive, and welcome others. How do we do that? What's the key? The key is the gospel, isn't it? When we see that we are sinners and that God in Christ has received and welcomed and loved us, then that flows out of us to others, then we welcome others as we have been welcomed. When we're keenly aware of our own sins, then we are more understanding and forgiving 
and loving to others who are sinners. We accept fellow believers because of the stunning forgiveness we enjoy in Jesus Christ. But if I forget my sin, then I become critical and judgmental and negative towards others. Then I don't welcome others, but I focus on their weaknesses. Well, let's look at this text. I see four truths in this text. I'll spend the most time on the first one and the last three a little more quickly. But uh, let, me, let me just rehearse them here in case you're taking notes or want to see them up front. The first truth is receive and welcome one another. The second is recognize that God keeps us believing, that God keeps us in the faith until the end. Third, recognize that we all live under Christ's lordship or, and God's lordship as well. Fourth, remember that we give, our, give an account to God for our lives. Finally, we stand before him. So let's begin with the first. First, receive and welcome one another. We see that right away in verse 1, don't we? As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Oh, how we Christians, especially we theological Christians, love to argue. Truth is important. And we must earnestly contend for the gospel and for the central teachings of our faith. But those of us who are passionate for the truth, and I think that's true of us as a church, praise God, we are passionate for the truth. But those of us who are passionate must beware. We can begin to think that everything is equally important. We may not make any distinctions in terms of our opinions about the truth. And so we could end up being divisive and argumentative and cranky. You know, that's sometimes true of people who are very theological and very interested in truth. We become argumentative and and even a little bit cranky and crabby. Our desire should be to accept and welcome fellow believers even when we disagree on secondary matters. You notice here Paul writes to weak Christians and to strong Christians. The weak Christians believed it was best if one kept the Old Testament food laws and observed the Sabbath. Look at verse 2. They only ate vegetables. Probably, it's a little bit difficult here, but probably because they wanted to avoid foods that were unclean according to the Old Testament. If you're not familiar with that, you could read Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14. We have a list there of foods that were considered to be unclean. And according to verse 5, they believed the Sabbath was the most important day of the week. Actually, verse 5 doesn't say the Sabbath, right? It says they estimate one day above another. So it's probably more than the Sabbath, but probably the week are mainly Jewish people. And the one day that would stand out in the Jewish mind week after week after week is the Sabbath. So almost certainly they have in mind here, especially the Sabbath. So so the weak would abstain from certain foods because they considered them to be unclean and they would observe special days, especially 
the Sabbath day. Now, the weak did not believe that these rules must be observed to obtain salvation. If they believed that, they wouldn't simply be weak. They would have proclaimed a false gospel. And they weren't saying that. They weren't saying, well, you have to keep these rules to be saved. Because Paul wouldn't have put up with that, would he, from reading Galatians? He would not have put up with that at all. He would have rebuked them for proclaiming a false gospel. So they didn't believe that. They, they probably believed that observing these rules was important to be a fruitful and good Christian. They probably believed these things were uh, better if you were going to live a dynamic Christian life. So they believed they were important, but not necessary for salvation. They would have agreed we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and in Christ alone. The strong, on the other hand, believe that Christians were free from these rules. Verse 2, they were convinced, they believed that Christians could eat anything. Verse 2, one person believes he may eat anything. That's the strong. There's no restrictions. And they believed that every day was equally important. Look at verse 5. They believed that every day was the same. No day was more important than another. So the strong said, we aren't better Christians if we abstain from certain foods and if we keep the Sabbath. How does Paul respond to this? He says, don't divide over these issues. Feel free in these matters. Feel free to have your own opinion. You know, interestingly enough, even to this day, believers who love the Lord and who love his word disagree on whether we ought to observe the Sabbath. So there are different opinions. Doubtless, I don't know the opinion of all of you in here, there's probably different opinions in this church on that matter. Paul tells us, let every person be fully convinced in his own mind. It's fine to have diversity on this issue. Don't break fellowship with other believers over controversial and debatable matters. Love one another, receive one another, welcome one another. But we have to step back a minute. There's just a lot to say about these kind of questions. One thing Paul says here is very interesting. Even though Paul says both views should be tolerated, he isn't neutral on the question. It's very interesting to observe. Both views are acceptable, but Paul actually sides theologically with the strong. In other words, Paul teaches here that the weak are wrong. Isn't that fascinating? Tolerate a view that's actually wrong at the end of the day. They're wrong in their opinion. We'll see that next week in the Romans 14, 13 through 23 as well. When Paul describes them then as weak in faith, he means exactly what he says. Their faith is weak. 
And therefore, they required things of other believers that the Bible doesn't require. Their greater strictness in secondary matters, like what foods we should eat or what days we should observe, doesn't show that they're stronger in faith, but that they're weaker in faith. They aren't right when they say that Christians should observe the Sabbath. Well, how do, how do I know that? How do we know that Paul sides with the strong? What's the evidence for that? Here it is. Paul wouldn't say it's okay to think every day is the same if he believed the Sabbath was a moral command that all Christians should observe, right? He wouldn't say that about adultery, right? It's fine to have different views on this issue. But on this issue, he says, it's okay to think every day is the same, but therefore he must not think that you must believe that the Sabbath is a moral command for all times. He clearly doesn't agree with the weak. Paul says it's okay to eat whatever you want. Clearly he doesn't believe the Old Testament food laws are still required for Christians. If he believed they were required, he'd stand with the weak and say, look, you ought not to eat those foods. But he says it doesn't matter. He says instead... Make up your own mind about this matter. He actually says, I'm right, but it isn't a big deal. So, Paul says to the strong, respect the opinion of the weak, even though they're wrong. Their opinion doesn't hurt them because this is a secondary matter and not a matter of salvation. So, as I said before, sometimes we Christians want to say everything we believe is equally important. We, We aren't very good sometimes at giving space to fellow believers who disagree with us on such secondary matters. Maybe we're quick to crush in an argument somebody who holds a contrary view to us. But Paul says, recognize, accept and welcome one another. Everybody doesn't have to think like us in every matter. If we want to force them to think like us, we're really trying to be God. We're trying to be the Lord. As Paul says in verse 6, the weak keep the Sabbath to honor the Lord. But the weak must not require, they must not require all Christians to eat certain foods and to observe certain days. On the other hand, the strong honor the Lord by giving thanks for the food they eat and for thinking that every day is the same. So that's the fundamental issue, isn't it? As we face the new year, are we glorifying, are we honoring the Lord in everything We do. Just another point that we ought to observe here. What it means to receive one another is a little bit different for the strong and the weak. Look at verse 3 and verse 10. The strong, according to verses 3 and 10, are tempted to despise the weak since the weak abstain from certain foods and observe certain days. So what does that mean? The strong were tempted to mock 
and ridicule the weak for being so conservative. They can't understand why the weak are so uptight and follow rules that aren't required in the Bible. So the temptation of the strong, is this you? Is to make fun of the weak. So, it's been pretty abstract. Let me apply it to a particular issue. Let's apply it to drinking alcohol. Clearly, the scriptures don't forbid the drinking of alcohol. If you don't agree with that, I'm happy to talk to you about it. But I don't have time to go into it. I think that's clear. But the weak think it's always wrong to consume alcohol. And it's their perfect right to have such an opinion, isn't it? The strong, however, are tempted to do what? If they have a different view, to ridicule the weak for having such a view. They think such a view is legalistic and narrow-minded. And they want to say things like, what fundies? What's wrong with these people? Why can't they loosen up? So they're tempted to despise and mock and ridicule the weak. If you're strong, yeah, you've probably committed that sin. What's the temptation of the weak? Well, again, look at verses 3 and 10. The weak are tempted to judge the strong. The weak are tempted to look at the strong and said, Man, those Christians are so liberal. They don't care about God's standards. They're so worldly. They're so secular. Now remember, we're talking about debatable matters. We're not talking about issues that are clearly revealed in Scripture to be right and wrong, okay? We're talking about places where there's controversy. We're not talking about moral norms that are clear, don't steal, don't murder, so forth and so on. We're talking about debates where good Christians disagree and and Scripture doesn't necessarily speak of these matters. We Christians today might judge the strong for what movies they attend, what music they listen to, or if they drink alcohol, the word of God is clear. Receive and welcome one another. Don't judge and despise one another. You know, there's so many things we could think of and apply this to. So I, I just thought of some other areas where we could apply this, just extending it out a little bit. Apply it to Clifton today. Can we think of some other areas where this would speak to us? Well, Think of it this way. Some churches put up their flag and identify themselves as a public school church or as a private school church or as a homeschool church. But at Clifton, we're not a public school church. We're not a private school church. We're not a homeschool church. Let everyone be fully convinced in their own mind as to where they should send their children to school. It's wrong to make people feel like they're lesser Christians if they don't hold your view about where children should go to school. Or let's think about this, even extending it a little further, let's think about this in terms of some good things. Scripture clearly teaches that abortion is wrong, that it is the taking of human life. Our church rightly speaks against such a terrible evil. And we pray against such a terrible evil. And individual members may be involved in specific ways in the fighting 
against abortion. And that is a wonderful and an important calling. But we are not, despite that, the against abortion church. We're not a church that expects every member to be involved in specific and concrete ways in the fight against abortion. In the same way, you know, we could keep going on this sort of thing. We have many large families in our church, and we praise God for that. We believe children are a blessing. We disagree with those who say families should have two or three and no more. Sometimes people in the world, if you have a large family, you've experienced this. I've talked to some of you. Sometimes people in the world, if you have a large family, they'll criticize you for having a large family. What are you doing? What are you doing wasting the environment like that? Don't you know that's not a helpful and wise thing to do? We don't agree with people who make such criticisms. We believe children are a blessing, and we believe large families are a blessing. But at the same time, we're not the big family church. We don't believe that to be pleasing to God, parents must have big families. We don't despise those with large families, but we rejoice with them. And we don't judge those who have smaller families. We aren't the large family church. We're not the small family church. We're Clifton Baptist Church. And we focus not on secondary issues, but we focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ. One more application. The same applies to adoption. What a glorious thing that many families in our church adopt children. We praise God for that. We rejoice in it. And we support it financially. And we support it in other ways. We think it is good to encourage adoption. And we're grieved to hear that Russia has banned adoptions. If you know about that news in the last couple days, we're grieved to hear about that. But we're not the adoption church. And we don't believe that you are more spiritual if you do adopt. We don't believe that every family should consider adoption. Scripture never says that. So we shouldn't say that either. We celebrate and support families who adopt without condemning families who don't. We think it's great to consider adoption. We believe in supporting adoption. But we don't go to the extreme of saying every family should consider adoption. So we return to where we started. Have your own convictions on secondary matters. But welcome and receive brothers and sisters who disagree with you on such things. That brings me to the second truth in this text. Recognize that God keeps us believing until the end. Look here at verses 3 and 4. In verse 3, see, I'm suggesting it's the weak who are particularly tempted to judge the strong. Remember, the strong are tempted to mock, despise, ridicule the weak. The weak are tempted to judge the strong. And they even doubt... This makes sense, doesn't it? They even doubt whether they're Christians because of the things they do. Remember, the strong aren't doing things 
clearly forbidden by Scripture, they're doing debatable things that Christians disagree on. But the weak wonder if the strong are truly believers. For the strong are doing things the weak would never do. Paul corrects the weak in verse 3 by telling them, God has welcomed the strong. Don't you doubt whether they're believers. God has welcomed them. The strong have trusted in Christ for their salvation. They have recognized that they can't save themselves, that they needed someone else to save them. They put their trust in Christ's perfect sacrifice for their sins instead of relying on their own efforts and their own works. So in verse 4, Paul rebukes the weak for passing final judgment on the strong. Who are the weak to question the final salvation of those who are strong? They are taking on God's prerogative. God is the final judge. Now, let's make a distinction here that's very important. It isn't wrong to wonder about and question the salvation of someone who is falling into obvious and blatant sin. That's that's why we exercise church discipline. That's not wrong, is it? As Paul says, those who practice the works of the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the weak aren't judging the strong because they're in deep sin. The weak are judging the strong because they disagree. The weak wonder about the salvation of the strong because they don't take Saturday off from work and because they eat ham sandwiches. So Paul says in such a case, how dare you judge such a person? That person stands or falls before God. And I think the word stands here means he stands at the judgment. And falls means falls away. Okay, so that's the key. They either stand before God or they fall away. They stand, they're saved forever, or they fall away and they're damned. They stand or fall before God. So I think that's salvific language there. Paul says to the weak, and he will, the strong will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. I mean, I love the ESV translation, but why the ESV used the word upheld, I don't know, because it's just the word stand again. It's just the same word. And he will stand, the strong will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So what is the Lord saying? The strong will be preserved. The Lord will keep him. The strong won't fall away. Why? Because they're so strong. No, that's not what he says. For the Lord is able to make them stand. How is it that the strong will make it to the end and not fall away? Because the Lord will enable them to stand. That's his argument, isn't it? So this is a great text on the preservation of the saints. Those whom God has called, whether weak or strong, but here he focuses on the strong, he'll keep. He won't let us fall away. Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in us, by saving us, he who began that good work will continue it until the day of Christ Jesus. That's what he's saying here too. It's the Lord that will cause us to stand until the end. Or Romans 8, nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. So are you fearful 
Are you personally fearful that you will lose your hold on Christ? Well, that's a pretty good fear to have, actually, except for he won't lose his hold on you. That's the issue. He'll keep you. He'll hold on to you. He'll make you stand. No one can snatch you from his hand if you belong to him. He's the good shepherd who will keep you. The one who's called you will keep you. Third, recognize that we all live under Christ's lordship. We see this in verses 7 through 9. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. What fascinating words, right? For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. So we see in verse 9, Christ is the Lord of the dead and the living because he died and then was raised. And now he reigns at God's right hand as the one who has conquered death. Why does Paul write this? Just, you know, just a personal word. I actually wrote this sermon the week of Diane's accident. I wrote the sermon and I was ready to give it, but that Friday she had the accident. And so, you know, I just put it aside for a a long time and I just came back to it and I forgot I'd even written these words. But, you know, they struck me with new force knowing that she had the accident that week where she came close to death. And what does Paul tell us here? We have a powerful reminder that our lives are not our own. We don't determine the course of our life or the time of our death. Christ the Lord rules over our lives. He's the Lord of our death. He's Lord of our life. That doesn't mean we understand why our lives turn out the way they do. There are many puzzles and mysteries about our lives. But we trust Christ as Lord. Our lives and our death are in His sovereign hand. Isn't that good news? You won't die a minute before you're supposed to die. And you'll live as long as you're supposed to live. And everything that happens, He's the sovereign Lord over your life and over your death. Psalm 116 says the death of believers is precious in God's sight. We're filled with grief and sorrow when a loved one dies. But if they're a believer, we know that their death is precious to our God. And we know that they're precious to God. The Lord hasn't abandoned them. The Lord hasn't abandoned you if you're going through a hard time. He's with you. So are you struggling with something in your life right now? Are you going through a hard time, a confusing time? Christ is Lord. He loves you. And He wants you to trust Him. Life may be too much for you, but it's not too much for Him. So you can give yourself entirely to Him, knowing that He'll take care of you, knowing that He is your Lord. Fourth, Remember, and we'll return to these themes next week, but remember that we will give an account of our lives to God. We read that in verses 10 through 12. For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, 
For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. I find it so easy to spend time reflecting on what others think of me. Or conversely, to spend my time evaluating and judging others. And in the process, we can forget about God, amazingly enough. But Paul tells us here, every knee will bow before him. A day will come when each one of us will give an account of our life personally and individually to God. Read Psalm 50 this week if you're able. God indicts Israel because they've forgotten that God will be their judge. They've forgotten about it. Why have they forgotten about it according to the psalm? Because their whole life long, God didn't say anything. Because that's their perception. You're silent. And they begin to think, nothing's going to happen. Have you heard people talk that way? Nothing's going to happen. It'll just go on. God says, I've been silent, so to speak. But the day is coming when there will be a judgment. Even though we think we haven't heard a word from him. Actually, we have heard a word, haven't we, in the scriptures. He has revealed himself to us. But they think he's silent and they think there's not a judgment day coming. But it's coming. If you're an unbeliever, you may think you will never face judgment because you haven't been judged so far. And it's even easy, even for us as Christians, to forget about God. If we remember God, truly remember Him, we turn to Him in faith and repentance for the forgiveness of our sins. We trust in Jesus Christ to save us instead of our own work and effort. We remember every day that our own goodness doesn't save us, but what saves us is what Jesus Christ has done for us. We look outside of ourselves to Jesus Christ for our salvation. And if we know this, then we show mercy to those who differ with us on secondary matters. Living before God doesn't mean we're softer on sin. That's not what I'm saying today. Our God is a consuming fire. He'll judge evil. But it does mean our greatest desire is to show people mercy. We won't be judges and critics, but those who welcome and accept others. And will welcome others because Christ has welcomed and accepted us. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that we would know the grace and joy, the amazing love that we sang about today of being welcomed, accepted, and loved through your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray that those truths would be not just in our heads, but in our hearts and in our lives, and that we would be people of mercy and love and grace, and winsomeness, and joy. Lord, we pray there'd be a radiance and beauty about our lives that could only be explained by 
the Holy Spirit working in us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.